0: Uh, so today we're going to finish our series that we've been on for the last couple months in the letters of John. We didn't look at the gospel of John. We didn't look at revelation, which he also wrote, but we looked at those letters, uh, near the end of the Bible, uh, 1 first John, second John, and today we'll look at third John. And honestly, I, I hope that it's been meaningful for you. Uh, over the last few months, I hope that you've been able to uh, not only just hear the sermons, but maybe discuss in your small groups and, and hopefully too follow along and read it yourself and see what God is speaking to you about, what he's saying, what's coming to the surface and how he's challenging you. And I, I hope that it's been transforming your life and how you think and uh, what you're thinking about and how you are living. So uh, I hope that's been important for you and I hope that today's uh, sermon is is the same and it encourages you. But today's sermon talks about imitation, right? Imitating people. We love to imitate people. Uh, it's one of the fun things that uh, we get to do in our home. As uh, my children have become teenagers, their imitations of mom and I have gotten much better. You know, uh, their, our mannerisms are able to, to copy, uh, you know, what we say and certainly how I sneeze. That's one of their favorites, um, but I just say it's just, it's a form of flattery, you know? You, you imitate your heroes, like that's really sweet of you, um, that you want to sneeze like me. But, uh, but it's something we see, like we just see it in life. I, I remember like when, when my son was playing Little League, how um, you'd see all these little kids who would have their favorite baseball player that they would imitate, you know, how they would um, stand in the batter's box just like them or whatever. Um, you saw a whole lot of, um, you never saw the number 99 on a baseball jersey until uh, until aaron judge came and now every kid every little league team has a 99 on there somewhere right another 27 and a 17 like they like that but one of my favorites was um, when my son was about um, about in fourth grade and uh, one of the pitchers on another team uh, was he must have been very influenced by the by then the boston pitcher uh, craig kimbrell because he would come and look at the sign but just as he was getting ready he'd do this you know just like Greg Kimball, like, no, no little kid does that on their own, right? He, he learned that by watching a player who was good and uh, imitating him. But it was just very funny as he's, he doesn't know how to throw anything other than a fastball. I don't know why he's looking, but it was just funny just to see the imitation. And, you know, we do that. We do that in our lives. And the question is not, uh, is imitation good or bad or whatever? It's, it's that who are you imitating, right? Who are you following, that matters. As we kind of get to this this verse and that kind of sums up this part of this letter in 3 John, it says this. It says, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. And so he's saying that be careful who you imitate and don't follow the person who is evil and and destructive. Don't imitate them, but imitate the person who is walking with God, who is walking in the truth and who is modeling this kind of love. Uh, What do we know about this letter, Uh, 3 John? Well, written by John, he calls himself the elder. If you see uh, 3rd John verse 1, it says, the elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Uh, John is now, like I said last week, he is the, the, the last of the living apostles. He's a much older man, and so in both ways, he kind of fits this title as elder. He uh, is He's a pastor at a church. He's kind of overseeing a bunch of churches in Asia Minor, most likely. And uh, he's loving on them. And they know that he loves them deeply. So he is the elder. And he's writing these letters. This letter is to a man named Gaius. Now, last week, we talked about Second John, which was kind of to the, the chosen lady. And we said, most likely, it's not a specific lady, but it's written to the church. But this one, is to a specific person, a man named Gaius. Gaius is a very common name. There's a few, several of them in the New Testament that might be related to them, it might not. It doesn't really matter. But it's a man who was near and dear to John. John loved him. He had a relationship with him. It could have been that John, John brought him in to, to know Christ. Uh, maybe John um, mentored him as a leader in the church, but he loves him, he cares for him. This guy, Gaius, had been leading the church in some level. We don't really know specifically, but he he seemed like he had some authority over a a group of people in his church. But what's most impressive about him, not his leadership style or anything else, but that he seemed to really capture the truths that John taught about in his first epistle. What we studied a few weeks ago, uh, John chapter 1, that talks about remaining in Christ, that talks about uh, walking in the truth, about loving one another. Uh, Those are words or themes that were repeated throughout there. Gaius seems to have gotten it. Like he heard it. He understood it. He lived it. Like he believed these things and he he not only just believed them, but he lived them out. In some ways, I feel like... uh, the whole 1 uh, John, has, this whole epistle is kind of personified in this man named Gaius. If you read a little bit about him, which we will today, and if you kind of go back and look at First John, you see a lot of these same characteristics. The same thing that John was saying, that if you are in Christ, here's how you are to live with one another. We see that in this man named Gaius. Uh, 1 John, for example, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-6, to 6, it says this, it says, We know that we have come to know him, that's Jesus, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do his commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. From what we can gather in these very short verses, Gaius was a man who was complete in Christ. Gaius was a man who lived like Jesus lived. And so being someone like that, he's a good person to emulate. He's a good person to imitate. And so as we read this passage, this this letter we'll see mostly about this man Gaius as somebody who, uh, as we're looking at what is John talking about in his letters, we see it in him. And so we can look at his life and, and give us an idea of what it looks like to live in the truth and to walk with Jesus and to love others, right? But at the end of the book, there's also a couple verses given to someone else who is a bad model, a bad example to follow. And so you're going to kind of see both of these things and see who is it that we need to follow? Who is it that knows Christ, who has seen him? And so again, the issue is not, is it right or wrong to imitate somebody, but who are you imitating? First and foremost, we want to follow Jesus, right? That's who our eyes are upon. And that's that's what we should do but sometimes we need to look at one another to see how they handled situations that maybe we don't see in the gospel we didn't see in Jesus life but we see people who are walking in the faith how they lived in these situations and there we we can we can walk and follow Jesus as we follow each other so that's really what we're getting at today and what we'll look at and so we'll kind of look at the the example to follow and the example not to follow so that's where we'll be at today so uh, as we jump into Third John, let's, uh, let's pray and ask God to lead us and guide us this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open up our eyes and our hearts to see you. And Lord, our eyes uh, want to be fixed on you, but Lord, we do that together. We do that as a community of men and women seeking to know you, to follow you, and to live like you. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that this morning. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. Well, let's look at Gaius, an example to imitate. Uh, First, in these first, uh, from verse 2 to 8, we'll see kind of the interaction of John, who loved him, and Gaius loved John. We'll see their interaction together and uh, some character traits of of his life. But let's look at verse 2. It says this, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, Even as your soul is getting along well, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told of the church. They told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people, so that we may work together for the truth. So here's uh, six things that we see in his life. He's spiritually fit. He has a godly reputation. He has gracious hospitality, he has compassionate love, he's sacrificial giving, and he has a faithful partnership to grow the kingdom of God and the gospel. So I'll kind of walk through those. I'm going to spend a little time on this first section, Spiritually Fit. The, the verses I just read, it says when, when, uh, when John is writing this letter, he says, I'm praying for you, Right? I'm praying that you will enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Uh, a little strange wording in that. Here's another translation from the Holman Study Bible. It says this. It says, Dear friend, I pray that you may prosper in every way and be in good health physically, just as you are spiritually. Or in the Net Bible, it says, I pray that all will go well with you and that you may be in good health just as it is well with your soul as he starts this out, he's saying, I'm praying for you and your health, right? But there's something unique how he says it, right? He's saying, I'm praying that you will be just as well physically as you are spiritually. Uh, this is, this is kind of interesting, and this is why I want to spend a little time, because we don't talk about this a lot. But John's starting this letter, and he's like, I'm praying for you physically. I want you to be in good health, Many times in the church, at least over the years, we have this kind of idea that um, the things that are physical in the bodies that are not as important as that which is spiritual. Right? I mean, our bodies are gonna die and then we'll have this new new life, right? We'll be in heaven. And so our bodies maybe not all that that important. What really matters is our our spiritual. Or even in the world. We say, well, this world is going to burn, you know, so it really doesn't matter. Uh, what really matters is, is heaven. And we kind of have this, this idea that the physical is not as important. But yes, that's not from John. And we don't see that in the Scripture. You know, we see that as from the Gnostics that John is writing about, who deny the, the, the importance of the physical. Or we see that in the, even the Plato philosophy that we've heard uh, o- over the years, that the spiritual is more important than the physical. But John right here, he's just saying, hey, I, I want you to have a physically fit life. I want you to be physically healthy. And so it's very important for us, even that we kind of have this concept that the physical is not important, it is. And it is totally right and appropriate to pray for each other's health, not just for their spiritual life, but for their physical life, okay? But did you see how he did it in his wording? He's like, I want to pray that you are as healthy physically as you are spiritually, because when he looks at him, he says, this guy is doing great spiritually. And I'm praying that he feels that same way physically. So what if I prayed that prayer for you? Think about this. If I prayed for you and said, I pray that your physical health would match your spiritual health. Would you want me to pray that? How would you feel? <laughs> Some of you might be like, oh, no, I feel a cold coming on. <laughs> You know, I'm like, no, don't pray that. Pray the opposite. Pray that my 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 spiritual life would be as good as I am physically. But that's not how he prays. And he's saying, look, he, you are doing so great spiritually, and I want to encourage that. But I want your physical part to, to match that. And so I, as I look at this, like, I, I just see that... Um, Sometimes we get it out of order. It's not that our physical, it's not like, it's, it's not wrong to go to the gym, right? You should, right? It's not wrong to go to the doctor and get your, your blood, you know, check up and see where your cholesterol is and all that and, and manage your life appropriately. Like, all of that is absolutely right. But sometimes it's much easier to prioritize that, the, the part that we see and that we feel and that we see in the mirror than it is our spiritual lives. It's easier to say, I'm going to get up really early and go run for an hour, or I'm going to go spend a, a couple hours at the gym getting fit, or I'm going to be really careful on what I eat. It's very easy to do that. It's very uh, like easy to, to um, you kind of you know, check it off. But the spiritual part, how are we doing spiritually? Do we get up early to spend time with the Word? Do we spend time uh, praying or is it you know like oh no i've given all my time to the physical part but i don't have any time for the spiritual we got to be careful with that right and and uh, just kind of keep going with that like um, even in our lives like we want the best for our kids like we want them to have great schools and all that and it's easy we want them to be great in their in their um you know athletics or in their music or whatever they're they're a part of and it's very easy to get tutors and coaches and spend all this time but then at the end of the day it's like oh but we're too busy we can't you know we spend all of our money we spend all of our time we can't go to church tonight or we can't go to a winter retreat or whatever because we've run out of money we've run out of time run out of space because we've been focusing on all of these things listen those things are all wonderful they're all great but don't forget the spiritual fitness that we need to do and i'm not saying it's a one for one i'm not saying spend an hour at the gym and spend an hour in your bible i, I don't know how to measure those things And I don't think they can be. But the important part is how are you doing spiritually? Are you spiritually fit? If I were to pray that your physical life would match your spiritual, would you be healthy? Now, some of you might get a little anxious with that, right? Let me, or nervous, right? But let me encourage you this way. And then I'll move on. If you are in Christ, you're healthy, right? Right? Because Christ is in you, and Christ is not sick. Christ is healthy. When you came to Christ, you were sick, right? The Bible talks about you were lost, you are in the darkness. But to use this analogy, you were sick. And Christ came in and healed you. Took away the cancer or the sickness. Gave you the blood transfusion, his own blood. So now, you stand in Christ. And when you go to the doctor your clean scans when you get your blood work you have the blood work of christ you are healthy but now live like it i know many people who have gone through cancer and when they go through cancer their lives are changed just the way they live and what they do and how they eat and their mindset is different they've been healed and they're thankful and their their lives are going to change now so you have been healed by the blood of jesus christ you have been saved. You have been forgiven. Now, don't forget and don't move on, but live in that health. Let us not just think about the physical health, but look at the spiritual health. That's what Gaius did. He's paid attention to that. All right, so I spend a little more time on that than I normally do, but I think it's important as we, just, um, we don't talk about that a lot, but it's one of the things that he leads his letter with. Right? So because he's spiritually fit, we also see that he has a good reputation. Gaius has a great reputation, and just the way that he lived and the way that he loved uh, the people that came to his church, that was reported. This says, look at verse 3, "...it gave me great joy when some of our believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth." So people came from John's church to Gaius's church, they spent some time, they were with him, and the thing that they reported back, the thing that they were most impressed with was his faithfulness to the gospel, how he lived it, he believed it, and he lived it. And this is what they came back. They reported that he is walking with the truth, but he's growing in the truth. And that was the report, that's the reputation that went around, and that was the thing that brought John so much joy, to know that my children are walking in the Lord. And I know for all of us who are parents or aunts and uncles, and we have, uh, whether it's our children or nieces and nephews or, or friends that are walking with the Lord, that that is the most important thing. It brings us so much joy. But Gaius had this reputation as he lived with the Lord. And, and reputations, as you know, they don't, they're not built overnight. They, they build over your whole life. Now they can be destroyed overnight, right? But here he had spent time sitting with the Lord, getting spiritually fit. And when he came and he interacted with these people, when they interacted with him, they just felt that genuine care. And they, that was a thing that was reported, his good reputation, So people who are walking with Jesus, they're spiritually fit, physically fit, there's good reputation here. But also we see the next thing is generous hospitality, All right? He says in verse 5, Dear friends you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they're strangers to you. So here's kind of the culture of the day that these missionaries would come from these other cities, other churches to encourage these churches. They'd go to new cities and new churches to spread the gospel or to encourage the churches that were there. And even though they were strangers, they were welcomed at this church and just embraced and cared for. They were loved on. And we don't have the, the details on what this looked like, but these were strangers that came. They came to the church, and because they were all in Christ, they were just cared for. He, he, he showed this generous hospitality. This just went beyond uh, what their imaginations were. He didn't just say, hey, we're going to feed you and then put you up at the, the hotel down the street. They, they took care of them. They brought them in. They cared for all of their needs. This hospitality is a trait of those who are walking with Jesus, right? You hear that? Hospitality is an important trait of those who are walking with Jesus. That's why we do what we do out here or our greeting team. Like hospitality is an important thing for us. It's not the only thing, but it's an important thing. It shows people are welcome here and they're cared for. That's so why we have the donuts and coffees, and that's why we have different meals from time to time, just to, to bring, have a place where hospitality is, is, is modeled. But we want you, also as followers of Jesus, to take that and put that in your own lives, whatever that looks like be hospitable at home. Maybe you can open up your home to people. Several of you have done that. I, I know we've had missionaries that have been living in another country. They come here for a short time to raise some support, or give some reports, and some of you have opened up their, your homes to let them come in and spend a week or two or more. You've given them your cars, automobiles, so they can drive around. Like, that's beautiful, and it brings me joy to hear that you're able to do that. Not all of you can do that, some of you you don't have the rooms or you don't have the space, but some of you do. And to, to be able to show that kind of hospitality to missionaries, but also to maybe to small groups, or just people in the church, being able to bring them into your house and just have a relaxed meal, play some games together, those things are important for us. Be people who are growing in, in our hospitality. Well that's not all. There's more that he shows. He shows compassionate love. In verse 6, he says, When they came, these people came back, they told the church about your love, about your love, just how much you have loved on them. Why did Gaius show that kind of love? Well, because what he learned from John in 1 John 4 19, we love because he first loved us. John got it, John understood it, that God has loved him so much. He wants to share that love with other people. Whoever comes, whoever it is, whoever comes in the name of Jesus Christ, we're gonna love and care for them. We're gonna go out of our way to show this extravagant and compassionate love to them. And that extended into his finances. That's the next thing, sacrificial giving. Look in verse six and seven. John says, please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help, from the pagans. These people, they, they went out. They were driven by what? The name of Jesus Christ, right? They wanted to make his name known. So they were driven uh, by his, with that mission to share his name with other people. But they didn't receive support from others. You know, Paul did. Remember Paul, was like a tent maker. Remember that? He like made tents so he didn't have to take money from the church. That's one way. But these people said, we're not going to take money from pagans. We're not going to have bake sales and car washes to earn money so we can take the name out. We're going to rely on the churches. And the churches came together and supported them, gave them the housing. And when it was time for them to go on to the next city, gave them food, gave them money to get them on their way to the next place. That's a sacrifice. I don't know what the equivalent would be, but I know it's a sacrifice. It's a lot of money. But look at this. And again, 1 John, here's how he's living it out. Here's what it looks like. 1 John 3, 17 and 18, it says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? All right, I have something. I see somebody in need, and I'm like, "Mm, too bad. Nothing I can do. How can the love... Of God being that person. He says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Care for each other's physical needs. He did that. He says, I'm going to honor the Lord by meeting these physical, real, and tangible needs to give them what they need the food, the housing, the clothes, whatever that means. It's really profound. If you've ever had somebody do that in your life, at some point in your life, when you just were in need and someone came along, maybe you knew them, maybe you didn't, but they were generous with their finances to help you, it made an impression. I bet you're thinking of them right now. And I can think of different people that have done that in my life throughout the years. And it's powerful. And that's the beauty of when we are loved by God, we can love others and we love them in tangible and practical ways sacrificial giving the last one we see here is this understanding of faithful partnerships look at verse 8 says we ought to therefore show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth okay do you see he's understanding that when he loves on them when he cares for them when he provides for their financial needs that he is working together with them for the truth These people are going out. They are going out to take the name of Jesus out into this world. But by supporting them, they are partnering with them. They're not just saying, here's some money, go do your thing. They're saying, we are going to come alongside and partner with you. We're invested in you. And it doesn't say it, but I'm sure it wasn't just, here's some money, go on your way. But it was the, how can we pray for you? How can we support you? Whenever you need anything, you come back to us. We're partners in this together. So you guys give to the church. So many of you, and you're so generous, and I thank you, thank you for that. But you don't just give and just say, all right, do hope, hope you, you spend it wisely. No, you're, you're partners with us. You're partners for the gospel. That when that money is used to glorify God, that you're a part of that. Understanding where we support people. How we support them is we are in partners with them. So whether it's here at the church or as missionaries or it's other organizations that are, that are proclaiming the, the gospel, that are bringing the kingdom of God, we get to support that. We get to be invested with them. And, and that is exciting. It's more than just here's a dollar or so that we get to partner with them. And Gaius understood that so he understood that, well, as he gave and as he supported, it just wasn't just this, this nice feeling that just kind of went came, came and went, but it was a partnership. It was coming together, saying, "We are in this together." Right? I don't know how Gaius made his money, I don't know how much he had, but it was used for the kingdom as he partnered together with those missionaries, with those people that John knew and was, was so encouraged by. So do you see what I'm saying as you look at, as we read 1 John and we talk about what it means to, to walk in the truth and how to live and how to love one another, we see these practical examples from this person who just, it was not about him. It was about the others. It was how can, uh, how can I show the love that God has given me? How can I show that to others? How can I do that in practical ways? Right, but keeping a, a, a close eye on my own spiritual walk, so that I have a good uh, reputation between our brother, with our brothers and sisters. But also, what can I do? How can I compassionate love, gracious hospitality, giving to people's needs, partnering with them in their ministry? Those are examples of what Paul is, what John is, is talking about as he says, you walk in the truth and you love one another. Great example to follow. But here's one that is not. All right. An example to avoid. Here's another leader in the church in verses 9 through 10. Uh, Maybe it's another church really close to them. Maybe it's their sister churches. We don't know a lot about this person either. Um, But this is a person not to follow. And And I'll read it and you'll see why. Okay? It says this in verse 9. Right after he just talked about all this loving hospitality and gracious love. He says, I wrote to the church. But Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Oh man, this is is a terrible leader right? And you you just saw, I mean, contrasted with such a wonderful person who just loves the Lord and gives so much. Diotrephes is the the complete opposite, right? He loves to be first. What else do we see? He's inhospitable, right? He slanders and gossips others. And when people want to follow uh, what John is saying, when they want to show Christ, he kicks them out of the church. Good example or bad example, right? Bad. I think we can all see that. But before we villainize him, let's just Point this out that that's not unlike how we used to be and maybe we have some of those things still in us right? it's certainly that's how the world lives that's this is an example of the world all right people that think of themselves right they just care about themselves they're not interested in in taking care of other people right they will they will slander or or gossip or whatever they need to get ahead and when you don't agree with them, they'll put you out of their way. That's not that. I mean, that's a great example of the world. And we see people like that. And sometimes we are like that, too. So let's be careful, you know, before we go too far and say, oh, what a horrible person. We have some of this. And that, this is discipleship, right? How do we become less like that and let God have more of our lives to make us more like Christ or Gaius? First thing we see is he loves to be first, right? What what does Christ say, right? Uh, The first will be last, the last will be first, right? Learn how to serve one another, not to be served. He's like, I came here to uh, not to serve or, or, or not to be served, but to serve. Diotrephes didn't get that. He loves to be first. Selfish, he's thinking of himself first, and that's the way that he's been ingrained. And, and like I said, we're, we're a little bit like that. I mean, in a funny way, like when you look at a photo, a group photo, who do you look for first? Come on. You always look for yourself, right? And you judge that whole, there could be 10 people in there that look great, but if you look bad, you're like, delete it. Get rid of it. <laughs> if they all look bad, their eyes are closed and they're looking away, but you look good, you're like that. We're going to heart that. We're going to keep that one. i look good. You know, I, okay, that's funny. I, you know, just an, an example. But we are that way. That's why we need to be discipled in Christ. That's why we need to spend time with him. That's why we need to become spiritually fit so that we're, we're less like that, that those are the things that we nail to the cross and keep there. But we live in a new way as we follow Christ. But he didn't get that. All right, he was inhospitable as well. Right? It says he was not welcoming to us, right? And he refuses to welcome other believers. Uh, what, I don't know why he didn't care, why he didn't want uh, John to come. Maybe he was uh, you know, um, inferior, felt inferior, or because John was such a, a larger-than-life presence maybe. Whatever it was, he wasn't welcoming. He didn't just display that kind of hospitality, so that's why I say with a hospitality, it's a trait of a Christian. It's the trait of someone who is walking and following with Christ. But we see here: here's a guy who's not with walking with him. Even though he's leading a church, he's not following Jesus. And the first thing he does, is says, we don't want you here. Right? You're, you're not welcome here. I don't want your words or your influence. I'm here. That's enough. We don't need anybody else. Now, If this was 2 John, if you guys were with us last week, remember 2 John said, it kind of had a little bit of this. He says, if there's people who are antichrists or false prophets, don't welcome them. Keep them out. Don't invite them into your family or in your congregation, right? Don't give them a platform to spread their heresies. If this was talking about false prophets, then Diotrephes would be doing a great job, right? Following what God says. But it's not. This is, he's not welcoming John, He's not welcoming the other followers of Jesus. That's wrong. But it gets worse, right? What else does he do? He slanders and gossips, maligns others. Look at verse 10. He says, so when I come, I'm going to call attention to what he's doing. So John's saying, we're going to address this. This isn't isn't flying. So I am going to come and I'll address him face to face. I'll call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. All right? He's gossiping, he's slandering, he's making them look like a fool. Hardly the person that we want to imitate, right? Jealousy, gossip, these things. These are, um, unfortunately, they're kind of the silent um, sins in the church. You know, so oftentimes we get, um, we get so focused on the big things, right? Um, uh, you know, sexual purity and addictions and that kind of stuff. That we don't pay attention to these things like just the, the gossiping the you know just talking about others and you know for us as a church like we this can't can this can't grow in our church it can't happen now, I understand how it happens, because we like, like, we're together. We have small groups. We, we talk about each other, and we're encouraged by each other, and so that's good. Like, you know, when someone says, oh, you wouldn't believe what someone said or what they did. It was so sweet, and it just showed me, you know, like, it, showed me, it just made me cry, it showed me Christ, or something like that. Like, that's a good thing, right? That's like, like the good report that they gave, but where it goes bad is when you say, well, you know, here's what you might, you probably didn't know this. And we, we start talking about um, other people. But we cannot do that. That is not the behavior of a Christian. That's how the world's going to work? I get it. It's not how Ambassador Church will work. So we we got to understand. we got to be solid and, and see it for what it is. And we've got to stop it if it does happen. All right, if people start talking, we got to say, hey, we'll just stop right there. That's none of our business. That's, I don't need to know that. That doesn't concern us. You know, that's not really helpful right now. Um, being able to see it for what it is and, and direct it away. So Gaius, I'm sure, was able to do that. Just saying, this is, we're not going to let this kind of stuff grow. Diotrephes let that stuff grow. Did it himself. The last thing he did was he kicked people out of his church for showing this godly hospitality. Right, people uh, said, "Hey, but I heard that John said we should welcome them. We want to welcome them. Uh, that's okay if you don't house them, but I'll house them." And that's where he was saying, "No, no, no, no. If you spend any time with them, then you're not in this in this church." And that sounds like I don't know. When you hear that, you might just say, "Like, well, that would never happen, right?" But friends, it does. It does. There's churches that we probably know. There was a whole podcast on one the last couple of years ago from Seattle about a church that was this way that just, they didn't care so much about the, the leader's health and his life. It was more concerned with, is the church growing? Are people coming? Are we hitting budget? Are we doing great things in the community? And I'm sure they were. The whole church unraveled because the pastor's life was more like Diotrephes than Gaius. And we think, okay, well, that was one example, but you guys, there's many. I have a a dear friend of mine who's looking at a a senior pastor position uh, at at a church um, not really close to us, but um, he said about 10 years ago, the pastor was there and the pastor, he was a great communicator. He was a great preacher and the church grew like almost to 2,000 people. And they loved it because he was such a good preacher and they were doing such good work. But none of the staff liked him. I actually knew him too. And I didn't care for him at all. Like, um, it was just, he was just, he was a great preacher. But he had no love and no compassion and no care. But here it is, like 10, 15 years later. And people still say, oh, we just wish we had a pastor like him who could just preach. Who just preached so well. But his heart was just, he was cold. And the church is still struggling with that. So these things happen on various levels. What do we care about? What are we looking for? You know, in our leaders, in our church, or in our kids. Do we, do we want the heart of God in our leaders, in our, in our, uh, our disciples, uh, in our children? Of course. That's what we want. Those other things. Those great leadership schools that I'm sure, Diotrephes, I'm sure that he had all of these things. He probably had great communication skills. He probably was a great leader. His name suggests that he's from royalty. He probably had some money, you know, and some influence. So I'm sure that's why he rose up. But his heart was far from God. In fact, what John says is that he had not even seen God. And yet here's people like that leading these churches. So in the end of the day, John says, he says, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. The issue, again, is not should we or should we not imitate. But who do we look at? Who do we follow? You got two great examples here of people, powerful people, great leaders, but one was all about himself and didn't live out these traits of Christ, the, the compassion, the love, the being hospitable. But you had another one that did that, who sat with the Lord, spent time with him, had this great reputation and loved because he had been loved by God. This is also like, we can call this discipleship too. Right? Imitation or discipleship. We're all, being discipled. But who are we being discipled by? Who's shaping our lives? Who's speaking into our lives? We need, I mean, we've got to, like I said at the beginning, we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus, but we also need to help each other follow him. we got to pull together. Sometimes with discipleship, we think of it more like a, a martial art. Like there's a master, you know, with a triple black belt, and then there's everybody else who are just learners, right? And I know because I've heard some of you say that, like, oh, I can't disciple somebody. I've only been a Christian for five years, right? I'm no expert. I don't think that's the model here. I think what he's saying is, together, we're going to put our eyes on Jesus Christ, but together we're going to help each other through life. And look for those people that are modeling Christ, that have this relationship with him. They're not perfect. I'm sure Gaius was not perfect. I know he had his flaws. I'm sure he was probably uh, short on some other things. But he was still someone to to follow. And that's you guys. You guys are here. We're not perfect. But if our eyes are on Jesus Christ, let's walk together. Let's help each other. Put our arms around each other. Help each other throughout life. Life has been tough, there's challenges, all sorts of challenges that are coming our way. You're not alone. There's people all around that can help and guide us and walk with us. We keep our eyes on Jesus and we imitate those who are following Christ. And let's keep moving. Let's keep our spiritual lives growing that just as much as our physical lives, let's let those things grow. Let our reputations for following Christ just go forth. But may we love, may we be kind, may we have compassionate love, be generous in the people around us. We can do that. Amen.